So, we've been in Galatians, and uh, so thank you for your good wishes. A lot of you said, what happened? How did it go? And so on. And uh, that's how it went. Uh, Big white is lovely at this time of year. We've been looking at Galatians. And uh, we're at chapter 2, and last week, um, Russ uh, challenged us with a powerful, uh, uh, direct challenge to, to connect in, to move forward, to get involved, to know what, what Christ is asking of us. And, and, and we want to continue with that theme. But I want to entitle this talk this morning on Thanksgiving, I want to entitle on, on this title, Recognising Grace. What do I mean by recognising grace? Well, I mean that here in chapter 2, we have a moment where Paul is now going, after 14 years, he's going down to Jerusalem. There is a crisis taking place. There is a crisis of debate about whether the non-Jews can receive salvation and whether or not they have to be circumcised. And we know this debate because we've talked about it in chapter Uh, One, as we've talked about this journey. We've talked about the attack of the church in Galatia. The fact that the church in Galatia was becoming a prodigal church. It was moving away from the gospel and it was moving towards a non-gospel experience. But here we see a problem where Paul talks about him going to Jerusalem. He went with Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jew. He was from the tribe of the Levites. His actual name is Joseph. Joseph, um, but he's named Barnabas, which is son of encouragement. That's a good guy, isn't he? That's a good name. That's that's the kind of person you want to be in a thunderbird with. Uh, An encouraging person, a person that encourages. And they took Titus along and went in response to a revelation that is very important in this. And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. That was James and and Peter and John, who were called the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. They are going to talk about the fact that the gospel is being preached by Paul to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, like you and I, are meeting the power of Jesus within their lives. This is a great moment. And they have to discern whether this is a work of God or whether this is wrong and what message that Paul is preaching and whether this message is correct or not. And so they step into this journey and they step into this moment where they present to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running hard and not being running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus. Titus is a Greek young man who has found salvation, who ends up actually at the end of his life as the bishop of Crete, whereas Barnabas came from the island of Cyprus, where he was part of the Jewish community there, who was with me, was compelled to to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because of some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. The word spy is the same linked word to the word of the spies that went into the promised land. 
And when they went into the promised land, they saw the glorious land. This is in reverse. These people want to spy on what is happening in the church so they can take the people of the church out of freedom and promise and put them back into religious slavery. And this is what the battle is all about. Are we free and living as a people of a promise or have we stepped into religious slavery? And when we receive Christ, we receive freedom. And Paul is saying that the old ways of circumcision, not even Titus needed to be circumcised. That when they discerned this, and when they understood what was happening, that they understand that people are trying to take away the freedom, and it's the freedom of the gospel that will evangelize the world. It's the freedom of our personal relationship of Christ that will move through Europe, that will go to India, that will go around the globe and bring hope and freedom. And yet the pillars of the church... The apostolic figures had to discern whether this was what God truly desired to do. And he's telling us. We did not give in to them for one moment, these people trying to drag us away. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. They recognized, verse 7, is that Paul had been given the task to evangelize the pagan world, the Greek world, the European world the Assyrian world, the world that is beyond, that he was given this task to go. And how did they understand this? Well, verse 8 tells us, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, the Jewish community, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they too to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along, which is next week's sermon. Verse 10. But notice this lovely little phrase is where I want to camp. They recognized the grace given to me. How did the apostolic fathers, the pillars of the church in Jerusalem, recognize the grace that was given? What was this process by which they saw grace at work? Preachers love to preach grace. I love to preach about grace, the free gift of God that comes through salvation. It is not something is earned, it's not something you have to work towards, it is not something that you have to do kind of religious acts to get. You have to receive the gift of salvation by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you can be saved, but you have to be willing to reach out and receive all that Christ did upon the cross. This is a free gift. It is given by grace. You do not deserve it. We cannot earn it, but we receive it through our faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's what happens. 
That's what takes place. But uh, we preach this, but often we're not very good at understanding another side of grace, which is recognising when grace is at work. Exciting subject. Seeing grace at work. Because in the discernment process, the pillars of the church looked at this, and as they looked at this, they wondered to themselves, can we see the grace of God at work? And it was because they recognised the grace of God, and as they saw the grace of God, and they understood and recognised the grace of God, they were able to offer Paul the right hand of fellowship. In other words, friendship and step together and move forward together. So what did they first of all recognise? Number one, they recognised this reality. That through the ministry and the preaching of Paul to the Gentiles, there was fruitfulness of people coming to salvation under the power of the gospel. In other words, people were experiencing the power of Jesus and lives were being changed and fruitfulness was taking place because they not only were joining some kind of religious group, of course not, they were experiencing true salvation of God the Father at work within the lives of these Gentiles. Now when you see grace at work in the church, you see grace at work And we spot grace. How can we spot grace? We can spot grace by seeing salvations within the life of a church. When you see salvations, and when you see people giving their lives to Jesus, you know that there is grace at work within that church. We thought about this when we stood there by on that rainy day some uh, weeks ago at the kickoff at our church. Uh, Willow One Gathering at Green Bay Camp. We stood there and we watched something in a region of 25 young people and different ages and people from the community walk into the water and as Pastor Jeremy read their testimonies and talked about how they met the power of God and we stood there and the rain held off and as we, probably five or six hundred of us, stood there on the banks of Lake Okanagan, we saw the people go into the water and come out with that smile on their faces and we all clapped and it was glorious, wasn't it? It was magnificent. And if you missed it, next year's coming. But we'll baptise more people. When you see people coming out of the waters of baptism and you see people coming forward and giving their lives to Jesus and you hear of alpha groups and people praying the prayer of commitment and Bible studies starting up and people experiencing the fruit of the power of the gospel, that is that we are seeing grace at work amongst us. And we should pray for that. We should pray for salvations. We should pray that people give their lives to Jesus. We should pray for that grace to come, that young people and old people alike would give their lives to Jesus Christ. The fruitfulness of thanksgiving is that we look and we see that the gospel is still at work and we see grace at work in our church because we see the power of salvation moving and working amongst us. Isn't that something we need to keep believing for? Something that we need to keep asking the Lord for? That we see this? As Paul wrote in Corinthians, you know, some 
Some prepare the soil, some sow the seed, but it's God that gives the increase. And when they looked at this situation, they saw grace because they saw God gave the increase. But the man that persecuted the church 14 years earlier, the man that held the coats while Stephen was being, being stoned to death, the man that was violently sectarian, and violently opposed as he hunted down the church, met Jesus Christ personally on the road to Damascus, experienced a conversion, and then went into Arabia and Syria and and established churches and prayer groups, and people gave their lives to Christ. This was a sign of seeing grace at work amongst the church. Keep believing for grace amongst the church. Keep praying for grace in your family. Keep praying that you'll see grace of people giving their lives back to the Lord Jesus Christ that they would know. As 1 Thessalonians says, Paul preached the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of God flowing through him. And they saw this in his life and they said, we recognise grace. I recognise grace right now. I recognise grace that grace is at work. I recognise the fruitfulness. And when we hear of hundreds of young people giving their lives to Christ and children in our camps at Garden Lake and down at the Ark and you see them being baptised and you see what God is doing, that is seeing grace at work within our community. And may that never leave us. May that be at our heart that we see grace. The other area we see grace from this scripture and recognize this is Titus. That Titus actually, as Titus was, um, was present, they took Titus along. Now they didn't just take Titus along to kind of sell, you know, Paul's books and Paul's tapes and to stand there, not that he, he was selling books or tapes, but you know, he was like, or carry his bags. Titus was a Greek. Titus was a man of God. Titus had no Jewish affiliation and Titus was exhibit one, if you like, to say that the gospel works powerfully in an individual's life. I love that. I love that Paul had a Titus. I love that not only do they see God moving in Syria, but actually he brought Titus to testify about the power and the reality of Christ. And every one of us here this morning, we are Tituses. We are not, for the vast majority of us, there are some here that have strong uh, Jewish connections who have found Christ, and that is wonderful. But for the majority of us, we have absolutely no uh, Jewish connection. I don't. I, I don't know if you've done that test for DNA, where you're from. I'm from Worcestershire. And my DNA runs with Worcestershire sauce through my body. There's, there's nothing Jewish in me, okay? But I am a Titus because the power of the gospel has taken me. But Titus was more than this. When we see grace, we see discipleship taking place. I said recently, we just finished our training for our youth workers, our small group workers, in their child protection policies. I said, how many small group leaders did we train in our church 
For our young people, how many did we train for child protection? And the answer was 200. 200 young adults, like young Dylan here, who are trained and were able to step into that. But although that child protection is utterly important for us as an organisation to be trained, the point was that I took my breath away for a moment. You're training 200 young leaders. You're training 200 Tituses. You're training these... That's amazing because the only way we're going to change the world is to keep training and raising up Tituses within our lives. And when we're discipling, it is a sign of grace. When we're discipling, they recognize grace. When people are growing, and every one of you is called to minister and to train up a Titus. Every one of us. Now, it may surprise you. Husbands, it may be the way that you lead your family. It may be the way that we help our wives to grow in the faith. Maybe our children, they are our tituses, they are our area where we concentrate on to be able to see them growing confidence in God. It may be that Bible study group that you're leading. It may be that experience. They make mistakes. They go on a journey. But every one of us, in every area of our life, we need to ask ourselves the question, do we actually have a titus within our lives? Are we discipling? Are we putting in? Are we making a difference? Or we become so detached in our culture that we're no longer raising up Tituses? I was a Titus. I was a young convert. Came forward and gave my life to Jesus. After a few months, an evangelist who led me to Christ, he said to me one day, hey, Philip, he wanted to chat to me. The elders in the church said, this young man, he's, he's got something. He's, you know, take him on a little trip. So the evangelist said, do you want to come with me? I'm preaching in Evesham and at the town hall for seven nights. Would you like to drive down and come for the youth evening? I said, sure, I'll come along. And as I'm driving down, he starts to talk to me. He shares about faith. He shares a great testimonies. He shares his stories. He shares about his theology. And we start to travel and, and, and talk and we get down to Evesham. He preaches his his face is all over the town. It's like a Billy Graham, mini Billy Graham sermon. And I'm there and I'm selling his books. And, and, and at the end we drive back and he tells me about how he was trained as an evangelist and the gospel and everything. And I said to him, hey, will you train me? He goes, oh, I don't know. He kind of spoke like this. He spoke like Winston Churchill, actually. He said, oh, my boy, I really don't know. I really, I, I don't know at all. I, uh, uh, uh. And I was like, well, he said, well, maybe you could come to Swansea with me next week. I'm, I've got a mission in Swansea in Wales, and you can come and help me out and see this. And maybe after that, uh, you know, I can get you a job on a farm or something. I'm like, a farm? I don't have a job on a farm. You don't know me. I'd get lost. Uh, but I went to Swansea. And I, I went to the bus station. I met loads of teenagers, because I was a teenager. I chatted to them, and I said to them, come on, come to church. And in that little Swansea Gospel Hall, I packed it out with 30 kids. And he was very pleased, because at the end of his message, dozens of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. It was awesome. And at the end of it, he said, well, why don't you come to Norwich with me? I'm preaching in Norwich. So I went to Norwich. 
and I preached there and everything. But it was an honour to be a Titus, to be mentored. Now we're not all to be mentored in the way that I was mentored. But the truth is this, that we all have an influence and the seeing grace is when we are willing to bless others, we're willing to encourage others, we're willing to mentor others, we're willing. And I made mistake after mistake. The first sermon I ever preached, I took my girlfriend with me. Just to be sure, I didn't marry her. Uh, But I took her with me. I was, you know, maybe because she had a car and she had a driving license and I didn't. Um, And and I went and preached at this youth event and as we're driving back, she said to me, oh, I said, so how was it? She said, you're not very good, are you? I said, I'm, what? She said, it was all, I didn't understand what you were talking about. You were, it was terrible. It was awful. What does your dad do? I said, he makes furniture and he's a carpet fitter. She said, really, you need to be a carpet fitter. And I'm like, ah, oh, thank you. Anyway, the relationship hit a, a problem because I, you know, never saw her again. Um, I was terrible. Absolute, te- Ted, the wrong things, put the wrong stuff together, spoken in a ridiculous way, and you would have gone, oh no. But if it wasn't for Paul's in my life, and it wasn't for the grace of Titus, and it wasn't that here is a young man who becomes the Bishop of Crete, we change the world through our discipleship, discipling our family, discipling uh, our church, discipling our lives, discipling others, connecting with others, and blessing others, and encouraging others. We can make a difference. And when discipleship is taking place, you are seeing grace. So the apostles looked and they saw salvation. The apostles looked and they saw Titus. And they went, we recognise grace. The third area. How did they recognise grace? Well, there is an interesting verse back here. There's so much you can talk about. But for some of you... Maybe this Thanksgiving you have forgotten the fruitfulness that God wants to produce within your life. But there are young ladies that need to be discipled. There are relationships that need to be built, ladies. There are groups that need to be started. There are ones and two discipleship groups that need to take place. But you recognise this as a sign of grace. Yet, as we see from verse 2, interesting verse. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders. Esteemed as leaders. What is this revelation? This revelation is Acts chapter 11. You see, the church at Antioch realised through the, the presence of the prophetic and a guy called Agabus came forward and prophesied about a great famine coming across the Roman Empire. And what they did was that they were willing to sacrificially give to the church of Jerusalem and take an offering and to give because of the great famine that was coming to this region. And this is powerful because when we see grace at work, what we actually see is this. We see people who are willing 
to sacrificially give because they believe in the promotion of the gospel and they believe in the promotion of discipleship and they believe that the kingdom of God needs to be taken throughout this world. And here they are. And when people are in need, when churches are in need, when people are in need, when there's problems are in need, it is important, the very basis of grace is that we become a generous giving people that love to bless those who are in need because God has blessed us and it flows out of our lives. And I'm not preaching a prosperity here. I'm preaching a reality. I'm preaching that when we are full of grace, we become a naturally generous people. That when we become focused on the gospel, sacrificial giving just flows. And they were turning up. And one thing that helped the process was that Paul turned up to Jerusalem, if I may put it this way, with a bag of money. Isn't it interesting how generosity changes people's hearts? That you've got a problem with somebody and yet you bless them with a meal and suddenly that problem disappears. Isn't it amazing that you hear about a church down the road? A friend of mine had a massive church growing in Colorado, very Northrop. The church grew to 10,000, as only they do, it seems, in, in, in America. And, and it grew and it prospered, but a church down the road was now suffering with their budget because actually Christians do move around. And the church down the road was poisoned and angry and bitter because of this church growing. And so what, I said to Darry, what did you do? He said, one Sunday we took a massive offering and we took it down to that church and said, we love you, we want you to prosper, and we just give you this offering. He said, it changed everything. I guess it would, wouldn't it? It changed everything because suddenly there was a need and they wanted to help with their need, with their budget, and they made a difference. And on so many levels, when we think of Thanksgiving, it's about generosity. It's about us being a generous people. It's about us being a, a people that care for others. It's about those beautiful moments when we are willing to take what we've got and give it away and bless others and be willing to do this. Like the church in Macedonia. Paul says they were poor. They were poor like church mice. And yet what happened? What happened? They took an offering out of what they didn't have and they sent that offering to help the church. They gave out of sacrificial giving. And when we see grace, we see the gospel being proclaimed and people coming to faith. When we see grace, we see people like Titus being discipled. When we see grace, we see a generation of church people that are, are not given by selfishness. But we are a people of natural generosity because when we see a need, we want to help people because we love people and we want to see the church grow. We want to see the gospel proclaimed and we want to see the Tituses of this world transformed by the power of Christ. I want to finish here. We're very good at not seeing grace. Can I say that again? We are very good at not seeing grace. In other words, we're good at seeing the negative and the problems and the difficulties and the gripes. We're very good at moaning and groaning and complaining about life and about our lot 
and about what we're travelling through. But often we are not very good at focusing on the grace of God at work. The grace of God in our family. The grace of God in good relationships. The grace of God in salvations. The grace of God in discipleship. We're not good at focusing. And what we have to train ourselves is not to always focus on the areas where there is no grace and there is difficulty. We have to learn to focus on the areas where there is grace. Where there is blessing. Where God is at work. Where God is moving. Where God, where this fruitfulness taking place, we're seeing lives changed. We're seeing hearts move. So I have to ask myself a question. How do I develop eyes of grace? How do you develop eyes of grace? How do we leave on this Thanksgiving weekend knowing and looking And knowing that when we look around, rather than focusing on the negative, we focus on where we can see the grace of God at work. How do we do that? Three very simple ways. Help me engage in maintaining the grace factor with recognising grace. Number one, the regular and beautiful reading of Scripture within an individual's life keeps you focused on what is God's priority. And when you are reading scripture, you will be hearing God's voice. And when you're hearing God's voice, it will change your heart and it will keep you focused on what is good. Scripture is our bread. Scripture is our food. Scripture is our strength. Scripture gives us life and strength within our lives. Number two is fostering and developing a prayer life that is dynamic. Fostering and developing a prayer life that is intimate. Making prayer the very basis of who we are and listening to God as we pray and seeing the combination between the Bible and our prayers makes a difference. And when I'm in a place of prayer, it's hard for me to focus on non-grace issues, but I become absolutely aware of where God is moving and God is working. Haven't you seen this? That when you've spent some time in prayer, you've been really miserable before, you've been really, oh, and you've been crazy, and you've been aggravated, and your mind's been like a washing machine with all the cocktail parties of negativity within your brain, and you go into a place of prayer, and you come out a different person. That's the power of prayer. You come out with the eyes of grace. And finally, is always staring at the cross. When you stare at the cross, you see, you experience and understand what it's all about. Everything leads back to the cross. Everything leads back to the presence of Christ and the cross within our lives. And, you, and often we have to keep reminding ourselves. Because when I look at the cross, it recalibrates who I am. If I'm wobbling in life, when I stare at the cross, the cross reminds me all that Jesus did. The cross reminds me that I was a sinner condemned. The cross reminds me 
that I need to get right with God. The cross reminds me that I cannot save myself, but he has died for me. The cross reminds me of the ultimate act of seeing grace. When I look into the cross, I see the ultimate grace of God for this world. And I become full of grace. I look for grace. I see grace. And when I hear of people becoming Christians, I rejoice in grace. When I see people, young and old, being disciples, I rejoice in seeing grace at work. Because those are only works of God amongst his people. You can't manufacture salvations. You can't manufacture true discipleship. You cannot manufacture a heart of generosity and sacrificial giving to others. That is something that is born of the Spirit's work within our lives. And when He works in our lives, it makes such a difference. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice that this morning on Thanksgiving, that we can remember to leave this place with a heart of Thanksgiving, but leave it with eyes of grace. Spot the grace in your life, spot the grace in your family, Spot the blessings all around you. See the grace in our community. And go forward, as Paul did, with the power of the gospel at work in our lives. And I hope, maybe your guest this morning, I hope that this morning you may, if you don't know it, that, that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's like a blindness is taken away. And you see like you've never seen before. Because once I was blind, but now I see. It's that profound. But the power and the grace of Jesus, that you see him like you've never seen him before. It's a fantastic way to live. To be looking with eyes of grace towards people, towards situations and showing God's love. Let's stand together to pray. For a moment, you can do an inventory of your own heart in these three areas discussed. First of all, the grace that comes through being excited and blessed by hearing of salvations and what God is doing amongst his people. Don't lose that. Don't lose that excitement. And if you've lost that, ask the Lord to rekindle a passion for mission. Secondly, a passion for seeing Tituses growing in God. That could be in Sunday school with the children. That could be in youth work. That could be in one-on-one discipleship. That could be in so many areas that you need to be more attentive to your family. To relationships and friendships. Thirdly, the sign of sacrificial giving. 
How important that is. That we sacrificially give. And that we are willing to do that. Father, right now I pray that you will be with us. And in these final moments of this final song, we pray that you will kindle within us and give us a sight to see grace at work. With his grace at work. Grace moving. Grace working. In fruitfulness of the gospel. Advancement of the message. In fruitfulness of discipleship. Advancement. In fruitfulness of sacrificial giving that I live to steward the resources that you've given in a sacrificial way. Lord, help us to walk in step with your heart and to be a people of pure grace, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.